title of my message is Walking in His Footsteps. Walking in His Footsteps. Uh, Turn to Joshua chapter 1. This is a certain place in uh, Israel's history here. Real important place in Israel's history. It says, after the death of Moses. Oh, children, I'm sorry. Oh, you are? Okay. (laughs) Just tell me when. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise. Go over this Jordan, you and all the people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you. As I said to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites from the great sea to the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Do you hear that? They will not stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and be of good courage for this people. You shall divide as an inheritance. The land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and be courageous. Be very courageous, it says. That you may observe to do all according to the law of Moses, which my servant commanded you. Do not turn to the right hand or the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then shall you make your way prosperous, and then shall you have good success. Have I not commanded you? And he repeats it again. It's a question. Have I not commanded you? And he says again, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the camp, command the people, prepare for provisions for yourselves, for within three days you will cross over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord was giving you to possess. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray that this message, Lord... Uh, would come from your lips to the people, Lord God, that you would hide me, Lord, everything about me, Lord, and uh, let the word come forth pure, and um, that we would hear it, Lord. And we ask all these things in your name, Lord Jesus, and everybody said, Amen. Hallelujah. The book of Joshua records three promises. Um, If you want to break it down real simple, um, the first promise is that they will enter in. And uh, this is no small task to enter in even. Because the place that's standing in front of them is impassable. In fact, uh, this is the Jordan River at flood stage. And you've got over a million people to cross. And so to say that they're going to enter is a difficult thing. Because the Jordan River you know, normally would be about... You know, probably a hundred feet wide, but in flood stage, how many know like around here when it's flood stage, it's a lot different look to it. I mean, there are, there are areas around here that are flooded during flood stage 
And this is exactly that time. This is April, May, time of Passover. And they're looking at a river. And God's saying, you will surely pass over. And so this thing swells up three or four times its size uh, when the waters of Hermon start to melt. And then the rainfall comes at this time of the year. And so they're standing in front of a river. It's at flood stage. And it's going straight downhill. Okay, the Red Sea at least was still. It wasn't running water. But the Jordan is at flood stage and the water is running downhill toward them. Okay? And so the one thing God promises, so chapters 2 to 5, if you want to break it into one section, is God's promising that they will enter in to the promised land. Which is a tough thing to see when you're standing there. Okay? The second thing is, they are going to have victory over an enemy, over the enemies of the, of the land of promise. And this is also not a small thing because where they're standing, they can see Jericho. Jericho is the most fortified military encampment in all of the land. Okay, it's the most fortified. And they're able to see it on the other side that the encampment is there. So chapters 6 through 12 of Joshua is God promising they'll have victory not just over Jericho, which is almost impossible. Jericho is a military encampment that has walls upon walls, okay? You get past the first set, you got the second set, okay? And they're walls upon walls. It's impenetrable. Uh, they had slingshots and they had, you know, very insuperior. Uh, their weapons were not superior even if they got behind the wall, okay? And, um, and then the third thing is that they would have an inheritance, that they would inherit the promises that God had given to Moses, Moses through the Mosaic Covenant and through Abraham through the Abrahamic Covenant. So they had three promises. That you would enter, you would have victory, and you would have an inheritance. And this book is written for the church to understand that we have the same three promises. And so we've got to study... This period of time to understand. In fact, Micah six four says this. Uh, did we ever dismiss children? I think they just missed themselves, didn't they? Okay. It says in Micah six four, God is trying to remind His backslidden nation um, this. He says, "For I brought you out of the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of bondage. I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam as leaders." O my people, remember now what Balak, king of Moab, counseled to do. And what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him. From the Acacia Grove, some of your places say the Acacia Grove to Gilgal. Some say uh, uh, Shittim, which is the name of the last encampment um, that's right there in the valley of Moab to the north above the Dead Sea. It's the last encampment. Uh, they had 42 all together when you count from Egypt all the way there, they had 42 encampments. This is the last one before they enter the promised land. And there's beautiful acacia trees that are on that beach there. And that's what, um, and they say still to this day, there are acacia groves that grow on that beach there. But they're standing there at the uh, meadow of the acacias uh, at, at Shatim. And they're looking over uh, to the promised land. Okay, and he says, I want you to remember what I did from... The Acacia Grove to Gilgal, mainly from the one side of the bank to the other side of the bank, so that you will know the righteousness of the Lord. 
And so God wants us to learn the lessons of what He did with them because we are the church and we're to walk in the same promises that they walked in. God wants the church, this is an example of the church of how I intended you to live and what I want to see happen in your life. How the, how faith works and how you're supposed to live your life as a Christian. And you say, well, wait a minute. God wants us to go through 40 years of wondering first. You know, it's an 11 day trip from bondage to the promised land. God wanted to, them to walk in this from the first day they walked out of Egypt. He had plans and he had purposes. He wanted them to go into the promised land. He wanted them to live by the promise. And there was a generation that just said, we won't do it. We won't do it. You know, we want to stay in this barren wasteland because we're afraid to live in the promises of God. And so God had to put on hold this moment between Shittim and Gilgal, which is on the other side. And so God wants us to learn some, and in fact, I'm telling you, there's some amazing lessons to learn as we go through this. The first lesson that we learn is we've got to walk in his footsteps. You know, Deuteronomy, this is what Moses said. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours. This is Deuteronomy 11.24. Now, Deuteronomy is a book that's fully um, geographically placed at this place where they're looking over the Jordan River to the Promised Land. Okay? This is Moses giving four speeches in that valley of Moab, in that plain, in this place um, where these acacia trees are. And they're looking over at Jericho. And Moses tells them, every place on which the sole of your feet, foot treads shall be yours from the wilderness and Lebanon, from the river Euphrates, even to the western sea shall be your territory. Now we're the church. And God really wants His people to pray and take the territory which He puts our foot on. Like we're not to be timid, we're not to be afraid. We're to take those promises through the Holy Spirit and we're to believe they're ours. Okay, we're, we're, God wants us to claim the inheritance. In fact, I almost titled this message... How to claim an inheritance. But I like following his footsteps better. Then Joshua 1.3. While they're sitting there with Joshua and about to enter the land. Joshua says in Joshua 1.3. Every place the sole of your foot will tread. I have given you. As I said to Moses. It's God telling Joshua. Joshua 5.15 says. Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua. Take the sandal off your foot, the place you're standing is holy, Joshua. Joshua 14.9 says, So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. Now I was in prayer meeting the other night, and I was reminded of some research 
Um, in fact, Professor Zertal from the University of Haifa had spent his whole life and they excavated very thoroughly and they started finding a very unusual thing. If you notice in the Bible, the uh, city Gilgal is always moving. Um, one time they say Gilgal is where they camped. It was their central campsite. And this is where the first place they landed when they crossed the promised land. You know, it's kind of like the Mayflower. The first place they landed, there was a rock there, I think. And they still to this day have that rock preserved where they land. Well, this is their place where they first landed. And they started excavating it and they started realizing Gilgal is not a city name. It's a word that means the circle. And so they made a circle and that circle is shaped like a foot. And so they marked that place and they said that that location is the foot of Yahweh. And so they made an encampment and some of these encampments are 800 by 200. So one of them is four acre foot. The other one is a three acre foot. The size of a couple football fields. And so these people... In the middle of this foot, that's where they begin to celebrate the Passover. That's when they begin to consecrate themselves. In fact, it's one mile from Jericho. One mile from the biggest military encampment in the promised land. And so they started studying this and they were like, well, wait a minute. That same brick circle, which dates back to exactly the time of Joshua. uh, And they also have burnt animal bones in it that are all kosher, which is very unusual because there's so many pagan sites around there. They found one on top of Mount Ebal where they consecrated the covenant again, renewed the covenant. They found one at Bethel. They found one just up the Jordan in another encampment and all of them were called Gilgal. In fact, this is the place where Elijah ascends into heaven. This is the place where David returns to his throne after Absalom. This is the place where Samuel would go in a circuit and judge Israel. This is the place where they would meet uh, to uh, celebrate uh, their covenants when they first came into the land. And what they were trying to say was, when we cross through this river, in fact, can I tell you something? I'm getting way ahead in my notes and messing myself up, but I'll do it. This is the place where they crossed over in the exact place where Jesus Christ was baptized. And so what you see is this man, this Messiah that God had promised, it's almost like he's baptized in this spot. And I'm going to tell you some things that will blow you away about this spot. It's like his giant footsteps stepped out of the Jordan and he's just walking through the land. And this is the land of promise. And can I tell you something? It's not just the promise for this world. We have to pass through that Jordan in order to get to heaven. There's no other way. There's no other way. It's the promises of God and numero uno. I don't know why I'm going Spanish here. Number one. All right, just in case we have those here that prefer another language, I can do that. Maybe. (laughs) I can't. (laughs) Okay. But number one promise is eternal life. And so in order for us to in order for us to have eternal life there's only one door. And there's all this enemy trying to keep us from having eternal life. 
There's this enemy, uh, this, in, this fear, this intimidation of this world that says you can't do it. You're not good enough. You're not able to get eternal life. And guess what? They're right. This is an impassable river. We have no ability to get from one side to the other. And every promise of God is on the other side. And they recognized the footprints. Four acre footprints. The footprints of the Messiah walking through this land and going to fulfill every promise that he's made to us. And we've got to follow this pattern. So let's look and see what happened. In fact, on the way to this place on the other side of the Jordan, how many remember the story of the bronze serpent? That happened right before they got to the spot. How many remember uh, Balak the king and Balaam who tried to, he wanted them to curse the Israelites. Remember they were coming up out of the wilderness and they were about to take the land and Moab did not like that. The nation of Moab was like, we got to stop them. The king of Moab said, we got to stop them. They're, they're just passing through. They're not bothering Moab. In fact, they went around them, right? But Moab said, we got to stop them because he could see that God was about to do something great in their life. And how many of you know when God's about to do something great in your life, you get this attack from the enemy? And so the enemy's trying to distract them. He's sending all these Moabite, Midianite women, and, and, and basically they take their eyes off of God, and there's a whole ordeal there, and then there's the, the this is the very last encampment, remember, and that previous generation is still whining about not having water and food, and it would have been better in Egypt. All the way to the end, they're still complaining about water and food, and it would be better in Egypt, and why did you bring us out here? And so God said, they did a numbering of the people, and 20 to 60-year-olds were numbered, and God said they're going to stay in the wilderness till all of those 20 to 60-year-old warriors die because they wouldn't fight. And I can't do anything with them in the promised land. And so they're waiting for the last one to die. All right. And when the last one dies, now we have a generation who have been in the wilderness for 40 years. They celebrated Passover coming out. And now they're 40 years later, Passover day. All right. It's the day for the selection of the lamb whenever they're entering. And so here they are about to enter. But here's the problem. We don't really think about what situation they were in. Situation they were in is whenever we cross over, we're kind of comfortable over here. But when we cross over, there's no way to get back over. You understand what I'm saying? There's no way when we cross over, we're one mile from Jericho and this military encampment. And they alone are too much for us. And then plus all these other nations know about us. In fact, in chapter 5, it says the other nations heard about what happened at the Jordan, and they were terrified of them. Nobody had ever heard of a miracle like that, what happened at Jordan, okay? I'll get to that in a minute. But they were terrified. And so they had an enemy that when you're terrified and you're scared, what do you do? You act in fear. You want to attack. You want to try to get rid of them quickly. You want to bind everybody together, which they did. They binded the northern force, the southern force. Everybody was on... um, Everybody was nervous because they didn't because they knew that God had promised the land to them. And um, but here's the thing: 
once you cross over, how many have ever heard the story of Cortez? He lands on the beach, and uh, while all of his military is standing there on the beach, he says, burn all the ships. Burn them. And so his men had to watch all the ships burn, and what is he telling his men? In fact, it happened several times in military campaigns. They want to tell their men that, you know, there's no turning back. In fact, we're saying that this morning. There's no turning back. And so God has called the church to that place. You know, the previous generation didn't want to cross over. They were afraid to cross over. They'd rather be in the wilderness or rather go back to Egypt where they were slaves. And, uh, and we got that choice today. We say, man, you know what? I don't know if I want to be a Christian. I'd rather be in the world and I'd rather be wandering around in the wilderness and I'd rather go back to these people of the world and try to get their favor and be popular and do all the things that they're doing. But you know what? We're just slaves there. We're just wandering in the wilderness there. God has a plan that is much better. On the other side of that, Jordan is some of the richest farmland. Some of the best things. God has had something planned that was beyond anything they'd ever hoped for, ever dreamed of. And can I tell you something? That's what he has for us. That's what he has for us. And so let's just see what happened here. The first thing that happened is, God just tells them, Therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to you. The children of Israel, every place the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you. As I said to Moses, from the wilderness, Lebanon, to the great river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, the great sea, for the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. Then later he says it again, be strong and of good courage. So what's the first thing God is calling us to do? Have courage. Like be willing. Be willing to step out and say, you know what? And this isn't self-courage. This isn't self-confidence. This isn't self uh, saying that I can do anything. This is fully trusting in God to do the impossible. To believe in the impossible. To be willing to say, I mean, do you understand that what he's asking them to do is very similar to D-Day invasion. I mean, it really is. You're taking your people who are not very well armed and you're crossing the Jordan and everybody there is going to be ready to fight you. And how many know that's what we do as Christians? You know, we're not against people. We're against demonic principalities in high places. But you know, the minute you say, I'm going to live for God, you've crossed over. You went from death to life. Only thing on the other side is death. Everybody on that other side that wanted to stay on that other side, they all died. Okay, something is dead back here. Even Moses died. Now why would Moses have to die? Because Moses represents the law. Moses represents um, something that... um, God didn't want us to make a mistake and think that we could cross over with the law. He wanted us to understand you can't be saved by the law. You're saved through the Spirit. You're saved through my sacrifice, not by the law. And so Moses had to stay on the other side. And also, he he hit a rock. 
<laughs> God wasn't happy with him about it. But symbolically, he has to be on that other side. Okay. Um, so God just says, I want you to have the courage to say that I'm ready to die. Because that's what they were saying. By crossing over, it was an act of war. It was an act of saying that we're going to take what God has given to us and we can't turn back. So what did it feel like for an 18-year-old, a 19-year-old, a 20-year-old to be on the beaches of Normandy? What does it feel like when you're the front line and because you know it's your duty, your sacred duty to fight for my nation? What is it like in, in any war for a young, you know, the youngest, think of it, an odd, young 18, 19, 20-year-olds running to their death? And knowing that you're a walking dead man. And that's what they're doing. And as a Christian, this is the first thing God's calling us to do. Because you know what? We're trying to protect our place in this world and there's no joy. And that's wandering in the wilderness. You know, that's staying on the other side of the Jordan. That's staying safe and all that. But what, what, what about when you say, you know what? I'm ready to give it all for Christ. I'm ready to die to myself. I'm ready to cross over and look on the other side and say, Goodbye, Chad. It was really nice knowing you. It was really good knowing you and all your desires and all your dreams and all your hopes and all these things. And you know what? I was talking to uh, my son the other day and he was telling me a story of uh, one of these movies. Uh, uh, what was it? What was the movie? You see in here? You know. He was tell, telling me about one of the Narnia movies, and I guess they're talking about, they're sitting on a ship and they're dreaming about when they get to that land, you know, that's supposed to symbolize heaven. And you know what? That's where I'm at. You know, I don't get depressed like I did when I was uh, pre-Jordan days, because all I think about is that first day. The first day in eternity is the best day that I've ever lived in my life. And I think about that. I don't really think about, hey, you didn't get this in your childhood. You know, this didn't go so well. You don't have so good of a bank account. You don't have so good of a retirement plan. Um, I don't think about those things because all I think about is what that first day is going to be like in eternity. A day that I die is going to be the greatest day. There's no day on this earth I've ever lived that was better than that. And I'm going to live with him for eternity. There'll never be a tear. There'll never be death. There'll never be sickness. There'll never be worry. There'll never be anxiety. And so I look over at that other side. I think, man, if I could just get there. And so the courage to walk on a beach called Normandy is exactly what they exhibited. That's why he said, be courageous. Because you're basically saying, Lord, I'm dead to myself. Do what you're going to do or I die. And so that's where God's calling us, church. God's called us to just make that decision. Am I going to cross from death to life? And you say, well, man, I'm just going to hold off on that decision. Did you hear what I said? It's death to life. We have to cross the Jordan at flood stage and get to the other side in order to have any promise that God has for us. And so how do we do it? It's impossible. It's almost impossible to cross. It's flood stage. Can you imagine swimming across just the Ohio in flood stage? <laughs> I 
That's quite a task to get to the other side. And that's what we're asking us to do to have the promises of God. The second thing he's asking them, Joshua 3. They're preparing to cross over. And it says, early in the morning, Joshua and the Israelites set out from Shittim, the place of the Acacias, and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp giving orders to people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priest carrying it, you are to move out of your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark and don't go near it. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourself because tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. So he said to the priests, take the ark of the covenant, pass ahead of the people. So they took it and went ahead of them and said, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, Joshua, so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests to carry the ark when you reach the edge of the water. Go ahead and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen, Lord your God. This is how you will know the living God is among you. And he'll drive out these people. See the ark of the coming of the Lord going to the Jordan ahead of you. And he says, let me skip down here. It says, as soon as the priests carried the ark and reached the Jordan and their foot touched the water's edge, the water from upstream Now, does everybody know what upstream is? All right. This water is flowing down. All right. The water from upstream stopped flowing. And you say, well, maybe this is like the past where there have been several earthquakes in that area and the water stopped. Okay. And it just cut off the flow because there was an earthquake. But it goes on and it says the water from upstream stopped flowing and it piled up in a heap. A great distance away. So this water was literally kept running and kept piling up and piling up and remained on a heap. Which is amazing. Visualize that if you can. Running water in a heap cuts it off. And this crossing is called the crossing of Adam. Which is amazing. And so here they are crossing in this place called the crossing of Adam. They're following the Ark of the Covenant. It's the same exact place Jesus Christ was baptized. And John said, Behold, the Lamb of the world that takes us, uh, Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And something special is happening here. And so the second thing is, you've got to step out. Remember that thing everywhere where your foot touches? So you have to take the first step. That means we can't keep being talkers. If we're going to do something great in our generation, we can't keep being talkers. All right, if they were talking about, man, it would be awesome if God fulfilled his promise and we got the land, like he said, and the inheritance, like he said, and man, it'd be so awesome. And, and we sit around and just talk about what would be awesome. Nothing's ever going to happen. But we've got to walk in the anointing that God's called us to walk in. And we've got to be doers. We've got to be doers. We can't talk about the problems of drug addiction. We can't talk about the problems of children that don't have fathers. We can't talk about all these problems and not be doers. 
Because God is asking us to take the first step. And you say, well, man, I don't know if I could take Jericho. I don't know if I could beat all the enemies that are in the land. I don't know if I can beat, um, you know, what orphans are struggling with. I don't know if I can help elderly people and minister to widows. I don't know if I can go to nursing homes and preach the gospel. I don't know if I can go on the street and win the lost. I don't know if I can help a drug addict. I don't know if I can help a kid who doesn't have a dad and take him fishing. And the truth was they couldn't. They couldn't even cross the Jordan. Flood stage. They definitely couldn't take Jericho. They definitely couldn't take all the southern kings united that came against them. They definitely couldn't take the northern alliance that came against them. There was nothing that they could do, but what they could do was step. Like, I'm going to do it. Well, God's called me to do what the Spirit of the Lord has called me to do. And you say, well, man, how do I get the call from the Holy Spirit? You need to have a relationship with the Lord. You say, well, man, God's never told me to do anything great because you've never been in the presence of God. When we get in the presence of God, how many know the Spirit of the Lord will tell you to step and the enemy will get out of the way? The enemy's scared to death. The enemy knows that if you walk in the footsteps of Yahweh, remember these four-acre footsteps? That's what they're scared of. We think they're scared of the children of Israel. But they're scared of these four-acre footprints. How would you like a four-acre footprint coming at you? And they're walking in his footsteps. What would Jesus do? Well, Jesus would eradicate this drug addiction in our communities. Jesus would minister to these orphans. Jesus would minister to widows. And that's what the enemy's looking at, these footsteps coming toward him. When we're united as the body of Christ, we're a giant walking through that land in victory. And so God's just asking us to get in His presence and take the step. Boy, can you imagine taking that step and just this water begins piling up in a heap? I mean, that's wild. Water flowing down in a heap piled up, right? And so here they are, they're crossing over now. Something that would be impossible to do without God's help, which is Jordan represents change. It means, God, I'm ready to die, and on the other side, I'm going to live in your promises. That's what baptism is. I die. It's a, uh, it looks a lot like a casket, you know, because I'm burying my old self and saying goodbye. Been nice to know you. You know, all the honor that you want, all the glory that you want, all the people you want to look at you, goodbye. Goodbye. I don't need you anymore. I don't need to identify myself by the things I do. I don't need to get the respect of people. I just need to have the respect of God. I just need God to look on me and give me a new life and let me follow in his footsteps. Third thing they did. Now I want you to recognize when they crossed over, Jesus, by being baptized there, was letting you know he was the place of the crossing. Like there's no way to get in the promised land without Christ. And so that's why when he was baptized there, all of our promises were in him. And those footprints you see on the other side is him. Christ is the fulfillment of everything we're going to do in that promised land. Every promise is fulfilled through him and in him. And so it's a picture of Jesus Christ, and it's at the place of Adam, which is very fascinating. 
I think the place of the crossing is called that because the flesh can only go so far. In fact, this the Bible calls the new Adam. This is the one that God raised up where we can have the promises fulfilled because how many know Adam failed? Man has failed. We have failed. We have no ability to acquire one promise without Jesus Christ. And so at that place, Jesus is baptized. And then you see these mighty footprints coming out of the Jordan to fulfill the promise. And so God, at this moment when they crossed, this is a 40 year to the day of when they came out of Egypt 40 years before. So imagine this, the exact day... In fact, it's the 10th of Nisan, which is actually the exact day that you select the lamb uh, so he can be examined by the people. This is the day that actually Jesus walked in on Palm Sunday. Okay, and that's when the lamb was being presented to the Jewish people to examine him and uh, make sure that uh, he had no blemishes. And so how many know they're selecting the lamb? And here's what this will blow you away. They may not have celebrated the Passover since the previous one. I mean, they had, because you're not allowed to celebrate Passover unless you're circumcised. Very odd thing, right? But it's in the Levitical law. And how many know this whole generation had not been? And so we don't know how long they went without celebrating. But on the other side, he said, it's time to celebrate the Passover when we get on the other side. So the lamb was being selected right where Jesus is baptized. Behold the lamb of God. They get on the other side and they celebrate Passover and they consecrate themselves through circumcision. And they hadn't done that with this generation. This generation grew up in the wilderness and had not been. And uh, something fascinating I found out, very uncomfortable topic, but they had to use really sharp flint stones. They're not like vitamins. But like stones that are made out of flint, okay? You can't really sharpen flintstone vitamins. But they had to use stones of flint. It just sounded funny, I'm sorry. Uh, there's not multiple uses for flintstones. But that flint stone, I didn't realize when they would sharpen them, um, bacteria doesn't grow on the stones. And so they had something uh, more sterile, as sterile as a scalpel today. Because they used the stones instead of metal implements. And they were able to keep them free of bacteria. And so anyway, this group of people, um, the first thing we notice is that as they cross and they pass from death into life and they say, God, we're yours. The first thing they do is they start sacrificing the lamb. And God begins to renew the covenant with them. And they... You would think when all these enemies are riled up and ready for them to come in, you would think that uh, they would be ready to attack. But no, God said, rest here. Stay here and rest. Let's heal your wounds. um, And let's consecrate ourselves. And when the men did that, when the men all submitted themselves to that procedure right there, what they were saying was, God, we're 100% committed to you. And so church, can I tell you something? It's a pattern that we need to see. The cross of Christ, when they put those memorial stones, in fact, they had them take 12 out of the water, put them on the edge there, and then they also put 12 more inside the Jordan, which a lot of people don't realize. There were two sets of 12 there. So when the water got low, you could see where they were standing, and the water stopped, and then when you got over on the bank, you could see that. And how many know that those memorial stones represent the cross of Christ? And so church... God has given us a pattern here. 
Step out, be courageous, step out in faith, celebrate the cross, understand the power of the cross, understand the person of the cross, understand the Lamb of God that goes before you. And then God says, consecrate yourself. And so all he's saying is, sell out to me. Like totally give your life to me and see what I'm going to do. I'm going to do amazing things among this church if you'll listen to me. Then he says another fascinating thing. Because they had the courage to cross over from death to life and sell out to God. They had a desire to take the first step and see God move on their behalf. They celebrated the cross of Christ. Then they consecrated themselves uh, through the procedure. Now God says, this is the place where your reproach of Egypt is being rolled away. In verse 9. 5 9 says that your reproach has been rolled away. And you say, well, man, what does that have to do with anything? In fact, it says, and the whole nation had been circumcised. They remained there in the camp until they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. So the name Gilgal is a rolling circle round it's just a description of what the location looks like but they were rolled away you know the next time we see language like this about being rolled away now why did he choose the other side of the jordan to roll away their reproach and their shame because they have a new name now the resurrection of christ is the next place in the bible where it says it was rolled away The reproach of you has been rolled away. Do you know that we have a name that was given by our parents to us, our last name? How many know that if you crossed over from death to life and you've committed your life 100% to God and you said, you know what, I'm your child now. How many know that we got a new name? In fact, his name was Jesus Christ, which means the anointed In fact, this is Joshua, whose name is actually Yeshua. This is symbolic of Jesus leading us into the promised land. And they got a new name. In fact, uh, their shame was rolled away. Let's say that you had a family name and it was so tarnished that you were almost embarrassed to say that name sometimes. And let's say that somebody gave you a new name And that name was very good name. How many know your life would change? And so God has rolled away the shame and given us a new name. I didn't even mean to rhyme that. This is the place right before I go into battle where now my name is no longer my surname. My name is now the anointed Christ I mean, no, that's not just his last name. That's his title. Jesus, the Christ, the anointed. How many of you know that's our last name? Whatever your name is, put it in there because your name is the anointed of God. We have a new name, church. Our reproach has been rolled away. I'm no longer a slave. I'm no longer the child of disobedient people in the wilderness. How many of you know that that whole generation... Had to die. Now, 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 see, this is something I've never seen before. I've always thought one generation, next generation, two separate entities. 
But when I was praying about this, God said, you need to think more of one entity. This is my people. This is my church. This is my group. And he said, in order for me to do the things that I want to do in your church, we've got to let all that die on the other side. We've got to be a group of people that have a new name. We don't think like we used to think. We don't act like we used to act. We don't have the same desires we used to have. And when God finds a group of people that lives under that new name, that new anointing, that new power, that new ability to visualize life like God called us to visualize it, 11 days, go to the promised land, let's take it. When we think like that, our reproach is pulled away. And you say, well, how is that? Because God calls prostitutes. You know, I was in a revival in Brownsville Assembly and got to know the lead elder really well. In fact, I didn't know he was the lead elder. And he said, he said, we talked for probably 20 minutes. He said, hey, I want you to join me in the baptismal. He said, I want you to help me baptize all these people. And so they had a long line of people, hundreds of people to be baptized. How many remember the revival? And man, I could just remember prostitutes. In fact, I remember the first one that got in there, I thought, man, I'm not going to make it tonight. First one that got in there was a little prostitute. She was probably 25, looked, looked like she was 35. And she got in the water, and uh, she just started talking about how she was abused as a child, got hooked on drugs through prostitution, life was destroyed, and she started talking about how all the prostitutes on DeSoto Avenue have, are getting saved. There's, there's almost no prostitute, she said, on DeSoto anymore because they all go to that church and they've been saved. You want to talk about rolling away the reproach. I just talked to somebody who was in jail the other day and said they can't be around anybody, family or anybody, because they're so ashamed of their life and how many times they've been arrested. God will take your reproach away. You say, well, man, I don't have any. Maybe God will help you find some. (laughs) But God will take it away and he'll give you a new name and he'll say, okay, now you're in my army. Now we're going to take the land. Now we're going to help people that struggled with what you've struggled with. And God takes your reproach away when you cross over. Hallelujah. Another thing that happened there. It says uh, in verse 10 of chapter 5, on the evening of the 14th day of the month, this four days later, we, uh, while camped at Gilgal in the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate the produce of the land, unleavened bread, roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate the produce of Cana. Sometimes we talk about the manna. We say, man, that's the manna from heaven, and that's what God wants us to eat on. And it's supernatural. It was there. They didn't have to bake it. They didn't have to knead the dough. They didn't have to do any work. It was just there. And we say, man, I want to eat on that manna my whole life. But can I tell you something? The manna, how many have ever had a young animal and you had to feed them the baby milk and the colostrum and try to get them what their mother had. Can I tell you the manna was like that? They didn't have to do anything. They didn't have to work for it. They didn't have to. They just had to walk outside 
pick it up and eat it, whatever it was. And if we're looking at this as a pattern of what God wants us to learn from the one location to the other location, like Micah says, one of the things that happened was they started to eat the grain from the land that they promised. Church, this is maturity. They were on baby's milk. They were eating that manna and God took care of them and God baby fed them. Then they got to the other side and what do you think happens when the enemies around see you eating their grain? Whose grain is it? (laughs) Is it the people that live there's grain or is it your grain? Or how would you like to have a field and a million people come in and start eating all the food? But they started eating from the land. They started to mature. They started to... uh, That's the first bites of His promise in the land. That's the first... How how would you like the first meal in your new home? You know, the first meal in some special place. You remember that, don't you? And this is their first time eating the fruit of the land. And so here's what God wants us to do. He wants us to taste the fruit of that land. You say, well, what's that fruit like? And can I tell you, it's like that baptismal tank I was in. It was like seeing new life in this. How many want to see that more than anything? How many want to see drug addicts cleaned up? How many know family members, friends, people that could use uh, deliverance from drugs? How many know, how many would like to see a hundred young people in this church? A hundred young people. And you say, well, man, that's impossible. I'm going to eat of that land. I'm not going to sit on the other side and eat manna my whole life. I'm going to go in the land where the enemy's at. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to eat a meal. And for the rest of my life, I'm going to inherit that land. And the enemy's not going to do anything about it. Church, we're going to see hundreds of kids are going to be in this building. If you don't see that, you can't see the other side. We're going to see drug addicts delivered. We're going to see so many. And you say, well, man, I don't want to mess it all up with all those kids here. That's how they think on the other side. You understand what I'm saying? That's how the other side of the Jordan thinks. We want to eat fruit from the land. And that fruit from the land is seeing God do what he wants to do. And what's he want to do? He wants us to take the land that he promised And the enemy right now is on that land, church. And we're going to just walk right over in the power of the Spirit. We're going to follow those giant footsteps. And we're going to eat food from the land of the enemy. Hallelujah. How many want to do that? I I, I want to do that. I think that would be a great meal to have. Here's the next thing. All this is great when you're sitting on the banks of the promised land. But here's the next question. We're following these footsteps. And then all of a sudden you stop and you say, oh my goodness, there's Jericho. First battle. I mean, no, some people don't get past the first battle. The battle's so intense, you're like, man, I retire. And so how are we going to take Jericho? The miracle was great at Jordan, but there weren't people throwing spears at us. And, and shooting arrows from the, you know, the, the wall. So it says a few verses later, Joshua 5.13, it says, Now Joshua was near Jericho. He looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him. 
with a drawn sword. A picture of this. You're walking toward Jericho. Don't you think Joshua was a little nervous about Jericho? Kind of his first battle leading without Moses. He's walking up to the city and he's like, you know what? God, you're going to have to do it or we're all dead. (laughs) And he sees a man that has a drawn sword standing in front of him. His sword in his hand drawn, Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or are you for our enemies? Neither, he replied. What a sight. Man with a drawn sword, are you for us or against us? I'm for neither. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals. The place you are standing is holy. And Joshua did it. He didn't say anything. He just bowed down and worshiped me. Do you understand that this is a theophany? Uh, Angels do not allow men to bow down and worship them. And so this literally is the Messiah standing in front of Joshua. And he says, are you on my side? And he's like, no, but you can be on my side. That's what he's saying when he says neither. You can be on my side, but I don't line up behind Joshua. Joshua can only line up behind me. And so he bowed down and began to worship the Lord. And how many know he had a face-to-face encounter with God? No wonder Joshua was so confident that Jericho would fall into his hand because he was following the commander of the Lord's army. Church, we need, in fact, this message, we were in prayer and somebody said they had a vision of one footprint standing in Evansville at our church and another footprint standing in Henderson. I thought, man, it just immediately clicked. Man, those footprints right there by the Jordan River, right when they came into the promised land. And I thought, man, if we can get a face-to-face encounter with God, if we can follow the commander of the Lord's army, if we can walk in his footsteps and honor God along the way, he says, there are things that you're going to see. In fact, I wish I could find that scripture. He says, there are, there are amazing things that you're going to see that you can't even imagine. And church, can I tell you, we can do that. We can walk in his footsteps. We can take the first step. We can be courageous. We can walk into the land of the enemy. We can eat the food of the land. We can take the promises of God, but we have to have a vision of the commander of the Lord's army. And if this church will do that, I'm telling you, I can't even explain to you what it felt like to see a couple of hundred people in a water baptism tank in a revival. I mean, it's a picture that I'll never lose in my mind. In fact, when I came back, um, I was on staff with Pastor Rod. I take my youth group there. And uh, I asked him, I said, I want the office by the water baptism tank, which was the very back, way in the back, away from everybody, because I didn't want to forget about what I seen. And that little, um, <laughs> that little prostitute was just bawling and crying and talking about how God had changed her and how in love she was with God and how God had completely healed her heart and restored her. And, and uh, I mean, she started trembling. Like, you ever tried to hold a fish that was really oily and slick and, and it's just flopping out of your hand? She was 
shaking so much in that water baptism tank that we couldn't hardly get her back out. And I thought, man, that's the first one. And then one after another, alcoholics, drug addicts, prostitutes, I mean, people that are, you know, good people. I mean, all, all walks of life, um, God had come through that tank, and, and I had a bunch. I took a whole group of kids. Get this. Lisa, you may remember this. I think uh, we started with about six kids in my youth group. And um, they were about to leave, two of them, you know, the music ministers, uh, two boy and girl. And they were about to leave. So we had six. And uh, God said, hey, just take anybody who wants to go to Florida. You know, just put them in as many vehicles as you can put together. And uh, so I put together like five or six minivans. And I told the few kids I had, I said, find as many kids you can that want to go to Florida. And so I think we ended up with 35 total people on that trip. Um, And I couldn't hardly find drivers. You know, Stoney Chapman and a few people were my drivers. My wife, myself. I don't know if you guys remember him. Stoney is a good guy. And I had a buddy named Ron was another driver. And uh, we went up there. And uh, most every one of those kids had never been to church. A lot of them just had never been in church. And we got in the presence of the Lord. And we just took that step, you know. I think I put it all on my credit card at the time. <laughs> I think I actually put it on, on there. And we just went up there. And, man, what I seen. I mean... I had kids that literally had never known anything about God. In fact, I remember one time they said, um, they're saying, uh, how many remember Dr. Brown from uh, Brownsville? In fact, he pretty well know. What's his first name? Again? My, yeah, Dr. Michael Brown, one of the best theologians in the country. I mean, he's really, and uh, he was standing in the corner raising his hand. He says, anybody wants the baptism of the Holy Spirit, come over here. And these kids have never been to church. They just got saved. They just dramatically walked in the room and felt compelled to run to the altar and get saved. And so they looked at me. I remember their faces still today. A girl named Jordan, or a guy named Jordan, a girl named um, um, Catherine, and Rebecca. And they'd never really been to church. In fact, they're in the neighborhood. They have kids now. They're in the neighborhood where our church is. And uh, they looked at me and they said, what's the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And I said, I'll explain later. And so they ran to that corner and got filled with the Holy Spirit. I had probably 20 kids that I were completely under the power of the Holy Spirit. And I had to carry a lot of them back to the bus, which was 10 blocks away. And so I'd carry one in, and then I'd come back, and I'd look in the bus, and and they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. I said, how did that happen? They said, we've been laying hands on each other. We got to the hotel. They said, is it okay if we worship all night, if we stay quiet? I said, yes, yeah, stay really quiet. You know, they had a little guitar. And Were you in that room? You were in that room, weren't you? They were saying, we worship all night. And I said, yeah, let's just stay quiet. We kept them all in there. And Mind you, this was a group of people that had never been to church. They wanted to worship all night. Now, one little girl, I'm not going to say her name, she couldn't, couldn't quit saying Jesus all night. She just kept saying, Jesus, Jesus. And this girl would never do this. In fact, I can tell you, she would never do that unless the power of the Holy Spirit. She was, you, you agree with me, right? <laughs> you know who it was. And, uh, and then here's what happens. 
A guy that hated that revival threatened to take me to jail because they were worshiping. And so the enemy just started going all out of whack and trying to get me in jail that night. And and uh, they tried to blame us for things we didn't do. They say we're throwing people in the pool, but we were all worshiping. And um, it just, it just God, man, I'm telling you. Church, you have no idea what happens when we 100% give our heart to God. 100% decide we're going to take the step. 100% decide we're going to be courageous and not live in the wilderness anymore. 100% get on that other side, let the shame roll away, and let God begin to move on our behalf. Church, we have no idea what God can do. Hallelujah. Stand to your feet. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Church, why don't we come forward? This, this, I, I just, something bothers me when this altar here is always empty. I can't stand it. You don't have to come down here, but it just, we should always fill this altar area. Amen. It's almost like we're afraid of the altar. Hallelujah. Praise God. Let's get in here and let's begin to pray for revival. Let's desire with everything that's in us for God to begin to move in this land, put the enemy to flight. How many know the enemy hasn't ran in a while? How many know the enemy hasn't been to put to flight? He's, he's actually gaining territory and we're losing it. And church, we, begin to, we need to begin to cry out. We need to get a vision of God. We need to get on our faces and begin to recognize something's not right in this community. Something's not right in this nation. The enemy is taking ground and that should never happen when the church is there. How many know that's true? should never happen when the church is there. The, the enemy in, in Joshua 5.1 was terrified terrified that they would move in the presence of God. And church, let's just begin to cry out. If you need prayer for anything, I just want to want you to know we're ready to pray. We'll lay hands on you, the power of the Spirit. Hallelujah. I, the prayer meetings are beginning to um, grow. They're beginning to wax. But guys, we need more. We need the Spirit of God to move. We need to totally bury ourselves in the fertile ground of the work of God. And say, God, let's bind us together. Let's do something amazing in our generation. I don't want to live through my life and not see revival like I've seen. I want the next generation to see it. They haven't seen it, church. I don't care if it's here. I don't care if it's somewhere else. I want to see revival in this nation. Hallelujah. Let's begin to cry out. Lord just spoke to me and if you're going through anything right now I was reminded that we have one thing in common with our Lord Jesus Christ and that is suffering and in that suffering Paul tells us we are to count it all joy so let the Holy Spirit fill you And let the joy of the Lord fill your heart and count it all joy in Christ Jesus' name. Thank you. Praise the Lord. If you're going through suffering and you want prayer, the Lord's speaking to your heart right now. We want to pray over you. Hallelujah. Come on up here. We're family. I don't want you to be, if you're going through something, should be afraid for prayer. How many know we're family here? Hallelujah. We want to walk through it with you. Hallelujah. 
I think um, <clears throat> we were, um, when I started to talk to this man at Brownsville, like I said, I didn't know that he was the, the lead elder. I had no idea he was even part of the staff. And how many know there are some times that God will knit you together in the first moment and you think that you've known him your whole life? And so that's how he and I were. We were like brothers. We were just talking and and immediately our spirits were just really drawn and uh, just having a wonderful fellowship. And and then just out of nowhere, he said, hey, join me in the water baptism bank and help me tonight. And that's not an accident. How many know those are divine appointments? I felt it at the time and I still feel it now. Because God wants you to see what real revival looks like. They're not all identical. They're not all cookie cutter. But you know it when you see it. In church, when you've seen it, you can't stop praying for it. That's why the old men need to dream dreams. And we need to have the young with visions. Because God puts that there. In fact, can I tell you one of those girls that I carried out that night same one who's in prison ashamed. I mean, you know, it's not an accident that she was there that day. A lot of those kids that are there were in this neighborhood we're going to. I mean, you know, it's not an accident that they were there. And John Kilpatrick, the pastor of that revival, he was my pastor when I was a little kid. He was at Calvary Temple here in Evansville. And you know that that was the, one of the hardest things he ever did in his life. He actually had a pretty high-level person in the church take a swing at him. And they didn't want him there. And he had a very hard time. And, but if you follow the advance of that revival, you hear about nights where they would just take their keys, he said... He threw it off on a table and he said, God, I will not leave until we have revival. And they would stay there all night just saying, God, we need revival. God, we need revival. God, we need revival. And the only way that he knew that is because he'd seen it. And when you've seen it, you know it's there. It's like the wells of Abraham. If my father Abraham dug it in that place, that's where it's at. They filled it up with dirt. But I know it's there, so I can keep digging for revival because I know it's there. There's a well of revival that God wants to spring up. He don't want us just to be wellspring in name. He wants us to flow like an artesian well to this community. Do you know that those artesian wells feed an entire our, our water an entire community? In church, we can't no longer be in name something not be in practice something. We've got to get on our knees, humble ourselves, be 100% for God, and we'll see something that, I mean, do you understand that, and I don't care if it's us or somebody else, but you know, this church, if we submitted ourselves to the Lord and got serious about revival, we could be a byword for the whole nation. This whole building could be full of exactly what I talked about in that water baptism tank. We're not dreaming big enough. And it it breaks my heart. We're not dreaming big enough. We're not courageous enough. We're not sold out enough. 
And I know it sounds like I'm being mean here, but I'm not. We're not dreaming big enough, church. We've got to get on our knees. And you say, well, I'm going to go home and get a dream. It doesn't work that way. You've got to go home and see God face to face. I want to remind you the reason that we, we named the church Wellspring was for that very reason. That we wanted to be um, just a, a fountain that overflows into the, wherever we're at, in this neighborhood and wherever we go. And it's so easy just to get complacent and to forget, you know, why we're something. Why, why are we Wellspring? I mean, Wellspring is very uh, significant name and uh, I just think it's, it's time we do we get serious and um, just be what God called us to be here and in Evansville Hallelujah Hallelujah. Another thing I was just reminded of a while back the Lord gave me a word this I'm talking about revival we can't wait for wellspring and the pastors and the churches to start revival. Revival starts with you right now. Revival starts with each and every one of us. And when that happens, you're going to be amazed at what's going to happen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. special about that generation of Joshua. Speak to her, Lord. Oh, 
know everything that our foot touches, Lord God. Let it be in your steps, Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Right now, Lord God, anoint my sister, Lord. With power and glory, Lord God. Of the Almighty, Lord, right now. side and just say, hey, God, we're ready for this. We want this. Make us ready for this. That's why you pray so long and you seek God so long. It's not Him. He wants to do it. It's what He has to remove from us. What has to die in us to see God move in our community here. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, right now, just bless your people, Lord God. Father, with the courage, Lord God, to lay everything aside, Lord, and seek you with all of our hearts, Lord. Lord, we pray for revival, Lord God. We've seen it, Lord. We've seen it poured out in a community, Lord God. And Father, this community is dying, Lord God. It's dry. Father, your people are dry and they're dying, Lord God. Father, I pray right now that you'd raise up revival here and all across the city, Lord God. Father, that there'd be a mighty army, Lord God, of your people walking in your footsteps, Lord, following the captain of the Lord's army, Lord God, ready, Lord take the ground of the enemy, Lord God. Lord, do it. Lord, do it. Change us, Lord God. Immerse us, Lord God, in you, Lord. 